Hey, what an exciting weekend. I disappeared. Check, 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 check. All right. Try to hold it a little differently. We got friends from Central. Great. We got friends from Bellevue College. We have friends from around the world. Okay? Now, I think it's our biggest representation from outside the United States is from the Democratic Republic of Congo. Did I say it right? Did I say it right? I hope so. The Congo. So, thank you. We, we just are an incredibly diverse group. And I'm so glad to be here. Today marks the beginning of my 32nd fall retreat. <laughs> you thought I was going to say birthday. <laughs> I, I started in 1990 as a freshman in college, and this is 2022. So it's been 32 years and 32 fall retreats. And for those of you who are really good at math, who are actually saying that means it's 33, um, I missed one, and that was because when my daughter was two and my son Caleb was being born, he was born during fall retreat, and so I sent some videos to do video announcements, but I wasn't at fall retreat. I was watching my son being born. So um, here's a picture of my family, me and then my wife Becky, been married for over 20 years, Caleb and Hannah, and uh, Hannah's a senior this year. She is attending the, her last football game playing in the marching band. And so she and Becky are there right now as we speak tonight, and they'll be here later tonight. So I'm missing them right now, but you'll see them throughout this week. And I hope you'll welcome all of them, Caleb and Hannah and Becky. And they've been around fall retreats in Kayapa a lot too. Becky and I do campus ministry. We really, really love it. We discovered this community this nationwide community of Kaiapa in our first years in college. So Becky's first roommate was met by Kaiapa students who helped her move in to the dormitory and then invited her to an event. And that's, that's like a classic Kaiapa story. Like that's how it works for a lot of us is you met someone in the first week and so Becky was introduced. I walk into a Friday night worship meeting on campus as a freshman at Washington State University, go Cougs. And they quickly became my family. Becky was up at Western, they became her family. And God began to change our lives. So I hope that you can understand what a blessing Kayapa can be as a community. These years are actually the most condensed set of crucial conversations you will have in your entire life. Important moments with God just condensed into these two, three, or four years, and the richest community of friends that you may discover throughout your entire life. It will be a model for how to live a Christian life after college, what you encounter here. So God didn't simply change my life at retreats like this. He solidified it for the future, into the future. Now, I want to preface my talk here with three notes before we start. First of all, we're going to do a Q&A tomorrow morning. What that basically means is you can ask me any question, any question on your heart, and we'll give a few minutes to that. So there won't be a time for, for you know, 200 questions, but um, I would encourage you to ask me tonight if there's a question to give it to me, and I'll kind of sort through what seems like, yeah, this, 
This seems like a good one to address tomorrow morning. Um, and, and if yours doesn't come up in the morning, I'd just say, ask me at one of our meal times. I just do, we'll do a table Q&A. Anyway, so open Q&A. You can't ask for a better deal than that. Tomorrow morning, tell me what your question is. Secondly, yes, uh, yes, I did write a book. And um, it's right here, and there's about 20 copies to be, I think, available tomorrow, $10. So if you wanted one, you could get one here or you could order it on Amazon, and there it is. I'll talk, talk a little bit more about that tomorrow, but basically I tried to answer the kind of questions that students want to ask about faith and science. Then I test, tested all the chapters with students to make sure that we're trying to hit those questions on the spot. And number three, I'm, I'm really wanting us to take notes while we're here this weekend. And so if possible, if we could get some people that will just hand out a bunch of free notebooks, if you didn't bring something to write with you, we have free notebooks and pens. And I would love for everyone to have a chance to write some thoughts from God on your heart and put them in a notebook. Just stick your hand up, and we'll hand them out anybody who wants one. Also, <coughs> if you need a Bible, we're going to hand out some Bibles too. Did we get the Bible box? Yep, okay. And so if you didn't bring a Bible, stick your hand up and wave it. So still hand means I want a notebook. Waving hand means I want a Bible. And you can have this Bible for the weekend. You can have it for life if you want. They're free. We just want everybody to feel equipped this weekend because, uh, to be honest, we're going to do a lot of processing, very good content with Jesus. This right here is my first ever notebook. Now, you might be asking, you know, what, what does it look like? I've never taken notes before in a message or a series of messages. And maybe you're not feeling that you're that good at writing things down. Now, the truth is, I was not either. I still don't feel like I am. But I gave it a shot in this notebook. And this discipline will be good over the long term for your life. This has some powerful moments in it when God began to redirect me and I started to just write down thoughts. What am I hearing from Jesus? I can actually go back to the moments when I was processing the question, should I graduate and do things in related to my physics degree or should I do the Kayapa internship? And I had to process those questions and you know sit down with mom and dad and say, here's why I think God is talking to me. And I wrote all that down. This grounds me. It's a record of what God has done in my life and how he's guided me. So here's some things you could put down. <coughs> you could put down the points that stand out to you in the message. You could write down the outline that's on the screen, although I tend to not put the full outline on the screen, so you don't want to take what's on the screen as being the content. There's a load of other things that you're actually going to be writing down. You could uh, talk to God through your pen. Just journal back to him. You could doodle if that helps you remember things. You could even put in little story summaries. When somebody tells a story, so I, I still do this to this day. I'll write, you know, <coughs> Pastor Gary's story about dot to dot. Main point is this. It just helps me bring back that moment because these illustrations actually are often very powerful. And so I, I record that in my notebook when I'm taking notes. Those are some things you can do. 
Okay, so that's the preface. Also, I just want to say this right here. Oh, didn't work. It's really hard to do it this way. It, this is my commitment to you. Come on, come on. There it goes. All right. I'm going to be fully engaged in this moment. I would love if you could do that too. Find a way to do that so that there's no distractions. Uh, believe it or not, all the notes and messages will be available to you later through the magic of technology. But let's not be distracted right now. Two stories. So I'm standing in a residence hall at Western Washington University, which is where I did the ministry internship for Chi Alpha. I'm in a concrete stairwell, and I'm praying for courage to step out of the stairwell into the hallway and start talking to students in their dorm rooms. I'm trying to listen to God's voice if there's any direction about what I should do. And of course, this is the year I'm doing the internship. I've graduated college with a degree in physics, a second degree in math, and now in the internship, this is one of my weekly assignments, something I never thought I would do. The weekly assignment is one night a week, go hang out with students in your designated dormitory, Delta Hall. That was my assignment every single week during the internship, go hang out. Now, you, you have to understand, this is not the first time I've been in a residence hall. Not the first time at all. I lived in one my freshman year at WSU, and then I lived in one again in my sophomore year, and after a season of living off campus, I moved back onto campus for my last year in college. And God had given me some vision to move back into a dorm in order to start a core group, small group, and to be present where the freshmen were. So it isn't new for me to be in a stairwell in a dormitory. So why am I sitting here stuck in the stairwell? And I, I'm, I mean, I'm frozen. I'm like, God, help me here. Why am I there? It's because I have all of these other thoughts come into my mind. There's excuses. There's redirections. There's things like, well, you don't live here. You don't belong here. And maybe this is an ineffective strategy. All of these doubts are sinking in. And Dan, don't you have some emails to get a head start on? There's all these other thoughts coming to my mind. And I'm, I'm literally paralyzed telling myself I have to get out and say hi to students. But God, how do I do that? And I must say, back then, this was a while ago. So if, if YouTube had been a thing, I would have sat there in the stairwell and probably just stuck on my phone for a while. Instead, I stood there, and I paced, and I just prayed, God, help. I'm stuck. I'm asking for his input. Second story, and this is a very different story. I'm sitting in the living room of a very old gentleman who's in his late 80s, maybe early 90s, with my dad. I'm about seven years old, and we had walked from our house down the street to his house. He's still living on his own, but is getting very frail. And my dad brought me there because Brother Hurlbut, as we called him, that was his last name, Hurlbut, 
He was telling us stories. And so, interestingly, he was telling us stories about how he had seen an angel in his living room several times. And in fact, my dad had come times before and he'd heard these stories and he wanted me to come and hear them too. And so Brother Herbert was compelled by those experiences to share them with others and to share the things that God was sharing to him through these experiences with an angel. So I remember the moment when we visited, this particular moment, and Brother Herbert said, I've had a vision, and it wasn't an angel, it was Jesus Christ standing in this room. A vision. And as we listened, he began to describe a picture of Jesus, very much like that image of Jesus. If you've ever read the last book of the Bible, which is called the Revelation of John, it's like that image at the very beginning, which is Jesus, not simply as a human being, but in all of his glory as the living God. I don't remember what Brother Hobart told us. about. I remember the image that he described. I don't remember what he said. He was learning from that. Perhaps, though, for me, it was just a reminder. It was a peek behind the curtain of what's beyond this world. What I do know is that love was exuding from our elderly brother to me. And really, it was love from Jesus Christ to me. And I, in my seven-year-old state with my little tiny brain, my little hobbit brain, <laughs> um, I... I struggled to make sense of that moment because it was so outside of my box, right? God, what am I supposed to do with this experience? So those are two stories, very different stories. I've shared two different stories of what I would call out-of-the-box experiences where I don't feel like myself and I'm asking God, what do I do in this moment? Because I believe that we all long to know God and to understand his voice and see his vision for our lives. But it's possible that all of us strain to hear that voice. Like it's not always easy. It is hard to appreciate and to kind of gut his direction in our lives. And sometimes even we just wrestle with, is that God's voice or is that just my own brain talking? Okay? Or all three of these things at once. You know, we're straining to hear the voice. We're straining to appreciate the direction he's calling us to do. And then we're also wondering, is that God's voice or is that my own brain? I really believe God is going to help us tonight to get more comfortable in a relationship with him where our listening to his voice and the outflow into our physical and verbal actions is going to happen. So we can walk and listen to God with more confidence. I think that's what he's going to be doing tonight to help us get more comfortable listening so that we can live out what we hear God saying to us. Now to do that, we're going to look at a classic story of a guy named Jonah who similarly wrestles to understand the voice and call of God. Um, he's like the object lesson in wrestling with the voice of God. So if you're new to this, I'm just going to take the Bible here, pretend I'm holding a Bible. It's I'm just going to pretend. Uh, we're going to divide it into two parts. So you've got the Old Testament and you've got the New Testament. We've got the Old Testament, which deals with the fundamentals of the human race 
and how God began working his plan of salvation through a specific group of people, Israel. And then we've got the New Testament, which deals with the ultimate future redemption of humanity through Jesus and how he works to reach the planet through an even bigger group, what we call the church. So there's two parts. So then in the Old Testament, you've got three parts here. I'm just doing this so that we all have the same map, okay? We need this map. In the Old Testament, about the, the fundamentals of the human race, there's three parts. First, there's history. A lot of the stories that come out about how God worked through his people and through Israel. Secondly, you've got a lot of wisdom, books like Proverbs and Psalms, where there's just a lot of life wisdom that you can encapsulate and put into your life. And number three, you've got people who are called prophets who wrote words back to the people of God on behalf of God. So that prophetic word is when they're speaking on behalf of God to the people. And where we're headed is in that prophetic section. So if you want to look up the book of Jonah right now, it's in the prophetic section. I would just suggest going to the front, looking into the table of contents in your Bible and finding Jonah, and then bookmarking that for the weekend. So I just want to tell you right up front here, we're in this section of prophetic books where people were moved by God to give a message to the people around them. But Jonah is the one book that is not like that. So we're in the one book that is different. It's different because it's not a prophetic words to other people. It's actually a story about the prophet himself. Okay, it's just in the middle of all the prophets, you get a story about a prophet. It's rather unique, and we're going to talk more about that in the next couple days. Let's just talk through the first story in Jonah tonight, which is chapter 1, and I'm going to call this message tonight, God is Always Speaking. We're going to read all of chapter 1 here. Okay? Ready to dive in? The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. That's, they didn't have last names back then, so they always identified whose son you were or daughter you were. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. So in other words, the rumors of the incredible immorality and corruption of this city, Nineveh, had filtered up. The rumors had reached the throne room of God, and so God is responding to that saying the wickedness has come up against me or before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port, and after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. <laughs> then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. Now, just a side note, the sailors lived in what we would call a pagan world. Okay, so in a pagan world, there's like nature gods, the god of the sun, the god of the storms, god of the sea, the oceans. 
There's regional gods, God of the city, God of this mountain. There's lots of gods. We are familiar with pagan religions anytime we watch something in, a, in the Marvel universe where you have all these Norse and Roman and Greek god names, Thor and etc. and then on so on. Okay? That's, that's a pagan world where there's a god in everything. In the ancient world, paganism was a way of life. So the sailors were afraid, sensing that the storm came from one of their many gods. Okay? Back to the text. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone back. I have to hold this in a certain way or it disconnects. Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. Somewhat unusual. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. So now let's, let's pause here for a few minutes and take stock of the situation. I like to ask questions about these stories. And so the first question that I want to ask is this. What is Nineveh? So, you, I mean, you may have, oh, you are going to answer that, weren't you? <laughs> yeah, it's the capital of an ancient empire, Assyria. You would pick that up in a world history course. In fact, Nineveh was the capital of one of the most violent empires that ever existed. More violent than the Babylonians who came right before them. Much more violent than the Persians who came after them. More violent than the Romans. The Assyrians were known to skin their captives and to burn people alive and to enslave thousands, forced death marches as they relocated people to other parts of the empire. More than any other ancient empire, the kings of Assyria, which is in modern-day Iraq, ruled with the sword. And Assyrians, their empire was on the borders of Israel, which is Jonah's people, okay? So it's like having the Russians on the border of Ukraine today or some, just think of some scenario where you think this is just, this is awful. And I wouldn't want to live in that country because it's so close to this place of oppression. Or having the Islamic State right next to Israel. So naturally, who would want to go there? Would you want to go there? Well, probably not. Here's another question. What is said about Jonah? There's a narrator here. I hope you picked that up. There's a narrator. What does the narrator say? He says, Jonah ran away from the Lord. Okay? Here's what it looks like if, if you just... Sometimes you wonder why things are repeated in the Old Testament. Here's what that might look like. Line A, to flee, from to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Line B, he went down to Joppa. C, and found a ship going to Tarshish. That's the center of this sentence. Line B prime, which matches B. So he paid the fare and went down into it. And A prime, he went to go to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. So it's repetitive in a, in a certain concentric way. There's a lot of things in the Old Testament like that. If you've ever wondered why things repeat, 
it's because it's an artistic form. In a ver verbal culture, it actually makes it easy to remember and tell this story. So Jonah ran away. And how far did Jonah want to run? Well, let me just show you a map. Here's a map drawn by an ancient Greek historian named Herodotus. The yellow star there is where Israel is. It says Phoenicia, and that's right next to where Israel was. Phoenicia is where the port of Joppa is because they were seafaring. Palestine is here on the east of the Mediterranean where that star is. Nineveh is 100 miles further east. Let's go to the next slide, and it'll show Nineveh orange circle. The kingdom of Tarshish, in, in Greek and other languages, it's sometimes pronounced Tartessus, was a thousand miles away across the Great Sea on the other side. Next slide. <laughs> this kingdom was actually discovered in the 1950s. People had wondered for years, is this place in the Bible for real? And it's kind of this legendary thing a place of fabled wealth, a far port on the far side of the sea. It's referenced in 1 Kings 10. It says, uh, this is one of the history books in the Old Testament. Once every three years, the fleet of ships of Tarshish used to come, bringing gold and silver, ivory, apes, and peacocks. Okay, so it's like a rich civilization. In the Psalm, Psalm 72, you could find it here. May God have dominion from sea to sea, from the great river on the far right, to the ends of the earth on the far left. May the desert tribes, far right, bow down before him. May the kings of the coastlands and of Tarshish, far right, far left, render him tribute. So it's in the Bible, but it was actually discovered in the 1950s on the coasts of modern-day Spain. So it doesn't say how the word of God came to Jonah, but it does say that he decided he would run away. And he was going to go as far as possible. Okay, so this is an interesting story. It's like a story of contrasts. That sounds kind of like me at times, to be very honest. One instinct to uncomfortable things and, and strange things and, and things that are outside of our box is to go the other way and bury ourselves in something else. It's like human instinct. Well, what else does the narrator say? One more question here. What else does the narrator say about Jonah? It says that he was sleeping and basically could not be woke by the storm. He hid away, he hid away in his sleep. One commentary says, Jonah slept the sleep of remorse. In other words, he's not ignorant of God's call on his life. It, it's rare that we are completely ignorant of things that God is nudging us to do. But the distractions and the desire to kind of shy away take hold because deep down we are shying away from that direct response. And somehow in our hearts we are also full. Sad. What are the distractions that we have today? I'm just I'm going to put that out there for us to talk about later. What kinds of activities, addictions, 
people, etc., what things function as side moves when God is talking to us? I wonder that. The truth is, God actually calls us to the freedom of direct response. He calls us to that rather than this sleep of remorse. Let me continue. Then the sailors said to each other, let's cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. And they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us who's responsible for making all of this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? They're like pestering him because he's the one who hasn't talked yet. He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. So this actually, this is the first moment of honesty from Jonah. The first moment that might lead to freedom first moment of honesty. Yes, I, I serve Yahweh, the God who made the heavens and the earth. It says this terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. And the sea was getting rougher and rougher. I kind of think it would be strange to have a narrator in, narrator in your life walking around with you. <laughs> Somebody asks if you would do something, and I say, uh, I, I don't know if I want to do that. And uh, the narrator says, said Dan as he was uncomfortable in his seat. And, you know, <laughs> that kind of narration. But uh, sometimes we maybe have that narration going on in our own mind. Why did this statement from Jonah terrify them? Let me tell you why. Because Jonah said to them, this isn't just one of the gods. This is the creator God, the one who made the mountains and the seas and the cities where all the other little gods live. This is the God. That's what he told them. That's why they are terrified. There's um, a really great book. I'm going to put it up here. It's called Eternity in Their Hearts. Probably written about 25 years ago. About how the, the concept of a creator God a God above all gods, the one who has made everything, is that concept is embedded in nearly all ancient and pagan cultures. This, this book tells the story of many different cultures around the world, historically and present day, where there are legends of the creator God. So it's not unusual that certain people who've never heard the good news and discover in the Bible that this is the one God that is being talked about, say, I've heard about that before. I've heard that before. And they're in their hearts, they're even prepared to respond. And so that's what happens with these sailors. They know what that means. It terrifies them. He's the one who's making this storm. There's a clear moment of shock and recognition that demands some kind of response from them. Kind of like in, my, in the moment when I'm sitting there with, with my dad, with Brother Hurlbut, and he's saying, I had a vision of Jesus. Like, I'm, I'm gripped by that as a seven-year-old. I say, God, what do I do? So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? 
Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it, it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before, and so they cried out to the Lord, Please, God, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. And then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. And at this, the men in the ship greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to him and made vows to him. So I'd ask you, in the end, who is it in this story who exercises a healthy fear and reverence for the Lord God? It's the sailors. They recognize the voice. They know they need to respond. Who is it whose acknowledgement of God's presence turns into healthy action? It's the sailors. If you know the meaning of irony, this story is all about irony. Because Jonah is the one who knows who the Hebrew, uh, the Hebrew who knows who the creator God is, who tells it to them. And he's the one who's not responding. And they're the ones who've never heard the name before but recognize something needs to happen in this moment, and they do something. I think that's a powerful moment, and it teaches us a lot about the kind of response that we need to have to God. What should we learn? Here's my final question. What should we learn in this story? I want to say this. God is speaking to everybody in some way. God is speaking to everyone in this story. It does start out by saying, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. But the truth is, God was also speaking in the storm. And he was also speaking to these sailors. God was speaking to everyone. God is always speaking. He spoke in their hearts. When I stood in that stairwell in Delta Hall, and I finally got unfrozen, and I started pacing and praying, God, help me right now. I don't feel like I belong in this place. I know it's my job to get out and meet some students here in this residence hall. Um, when I got unfrozen, I just opened up a space in my heart to listen. That was, that was all I felt like I could do, is I'm just going to listen to God. And I felt this, what I would describe as a gentle nudge. Okay, God is saying to me, it's all right. God is saying, I'm with you. God is saying, I love you. That's what I felt. This nudges toward recognizing his love, his being with me, saying it's going to be all right. And so I got up the courage and I went out. And actually, I did this every week for an entire year. And I introduced myself to students. I mean, I had an excuse to be there because there was one student from Kaiapa who also lived in the dorm. And so I could say, well, my friend lives in this room. And so, but I got out and I introduced myself to other students. 
And by the end of the year, I knew many more students than just my one Christian friend who was in my core group. By the end of the first month, actually, I'd met (laughs) and earned the trust of the RA on that floor who invited me to join a weekly outing for the whole hall where they all went bowling. One night a week, the residence hall paid for everybody to go bowling. They invited me to come along. It was cool because I kind of got adopted into this residence hall. God began to bring blessing into my obedience and a larger ministry as a result. To fear the Lord in the Bible, I used this phrase earlier, who who is it that most feared and respected the Lord? That to fear the Lord means to have a healthy respect and obedience for what God is speaking. And so I, I responded to those gentle nudges in that stairwell. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In the, me- in the message, which is a paraphrase of the entire Bible, a very good one, it's, it says from Proverbs 9 that wisdom is insight into life, insight into life from knowing a holy God. It's through wisdom. In Proverbs, it's personified as lady wisdom. So it's, it's through lady wisdom knowledge of the Lord, that your life deepens and the years of your life ripen. Live wisely and wisdom will permeate your life. Mock it and life will mock you. So wisdom in this case basically means not escaping into a distraction. What is the wisdom that we need to live out? We need to recognize when there's a shine away from whatever we sense God's saying and doing what's necessary and following through on the things we hear, even, even when it stretches us. That's wisdom, and it brings life. Okay, so now because there's something for us here already in this story, we're going to pause here, and we're going to pick up the next part of the story tomorrow, chapter 2. I want to ask this question. What are some of the ways that God speaks? How does he guide us? I think there, I didn't underline this, Nancy, but there's hopefully a title slide. Yes. How does God speak? And I want to offer to you a little handout. Right here, I I believe I got 130, so there's enough for everybody. I'll just stick them in the back tonight so you could have one. These are some of the ways I think God speaks. First of all, he speaks in gentle nudges, which I would describe as our unresolved senses. I'll I'll describe what that means in a second. So here's an example in Mark chapter 1, verse 12, where it says Jesus was compelled by the Holy Spirit to go into the wilderness to the beginning of his ministry in in Mark chapter 1. Compelled by the Holy Spirit. There's like this nudging or pushing. There's another one in Acts chapter 16 where the Apostle Paul is trying to go to a place in Asia with the good news of Jesus, and it says the Holy Spirit prevented him from going. It's like there's something pressing against his attempt to go. There's moments where we sense God nudging us in directions. I use the word unresolved senses because I have unresolved senses. Like, okay, I have this sense that I... I I can't just let it sit there. (laughs) 
I have to resolve it. <laughs> you know, like an itch is an unresolved sense. You, like you have to do something about it. Uh, something feels cold and you shy away from that to get warm again. So th there's this unresolved internal heart sense that says, I have to do something. And I think God speaks like that. In fact, often, for me, I think this is the main way that I get guidance from God. Uh, you know, first I don't want to initiate to do something, and I don't, or I don't want to speak up, or I don't want to step up and volunteer for something, and he nudges me, and I can't get rid of that nudge. <laughs> and he says, I want you to do that anyway. Go ahead, it'll be okay. The sailors respond to a nudge. It says they made a sacrifice and offered vows to the Lord. I mean, they're serious about what they need to do in that moment. This is the most common way I sense God myself. I, I, it's very much like how our conscience is responding to God's presence. A second way is that God speaks through scriptural wisdom. Through the Bible itself, as we read it, God speaks. Psalm chapter 1. I'd love it if you have a chance this weekend to read the entire chapter 1 of the Psalms, which starts out like this. Blessed is the person whose delight is in the law of the Lord, the, the scripture. And on this law of the Lord, he, the person meditates day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and does not wither. The scripture itself gives us direction and guidance and life. We want to live in obedience to the word of God and not just read it every day. So every day when I do read, I sit down. One of the questions I ask at the end is, what, Lord, what should I do with this? We need to be obedient to what it says and soak into the wisdom that comes out, but then act on it. Can someone give me the time? We're doing great. A third way that God speaks is through wisdom of others, through wise counsel. Now, I didn't appreciate this for a lot of years. In fact, in fact I think when we were adolescent and young, th this is the thing that we appreciate the least. <laughs> <laughs> You know, there's this saying that youthfulness is wasted on those who are young. <laughs> if only I could take the wisdom I have now and go back into my 12-year-old or 18-year-old body and live out life with that wisdom, it would be so, so much better. Yes, sir. Proverbs 12:15 says the way of a fool is right in his own eyes but he that listens to counsel is wise. Hebrews 10 says let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. We bring each other wisdom. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but let us encourage one another. 
So when people you respect speak, take time to listen. Not to dismiss or defend or deny, but listen. Chris, you could add a little more kind of middle and base into this. I feel disoriented because it doesn't sound like it did a minute ago. <laughs> Finally, God speaks more directly sometimes in words and images. He does. I haven't had too many of those moments in my life. There's been one moment or two where I would say, I feel like I heard a word from God kind of audibly. Most of the time it's in those gentle nudges, but this does happen. And sometimes images stick in our brain. There's a famous verse in Acts chapter 2, verse 17, in which God says, In the last days I will pour out my spirit on all people. Sons and daughters will prophesy, and young people will see visions. That is something that God does for us. In fact, I am really praying that there are some of us this weekend who see a vision from God that is for this group. Visions should be common. So let's listen and seek God. Press in. Um, worship team, we're going to set up right now. So if you guys wouldn't mind coming. I'm really praying tonight that we have a chance just to listen to God. So I, I want to describe some things that you can do as we do some singing. Singing is a part of worship, but there's many other things that we do in worship, including listening to God, the worshipful act, and even praying for each other. There's lots of things. So here's some next steps that I, I want to ask you to do as we sing. In fact, you don't even have to sing at first, right? Um, just take some time to listen. Spend some time listening to God tonight. Just listen and respond. I, I don't know what's on your heart. What do you most want to talk to God about? Ask that question. Ask him what's on your heart. And then listen. And if you can, write some things down too. I'd encourage you actually just, this is a tight room, but we have made space on the sides, in the back, on the sides, even in the front here, for people just to spread out and get some elbow room so that you have your own space to do some listening. I would encourage you to do that as we start here. Take a spot in this room or even outside this room if you need to in order to listen to God. Find a spot on the floor. When I was a kid, they called it sucking carpet. You can do that. You can do that too. Okay, and I'm going to ask you to do this. Listen to the nudges. Pay attention to the emotions that come through. Let scriptures come to your mind. And if you don't have any scriptures that come to mind, pull out one of the Psalms and just let some scriptures come to mind there. You could pull out John chapter 14, which we're going to be reading through. John 15. There's some different spots. Or Romans chapter 8. There's so many good places where God can speak to us, so let them speak to you. And also ask this question, because, you know, God's pressing us like the sailors to respond. 
What, what are your places of escape, your modes of distraction? What worlds or fantasies saturate your thinking that keep you from responding to God? Write some of those down and then just place them before him and say, God, help me to, to shift my patterns. Help me to shift my habits away. Let's listen to God. I'm going to pray. If you wouldn't mind just focusing in as we pray, you can stand. That's fine. Jesus, we're just asking that you would dwell in our thoughts. We want to sense your love and encouragement. We want to sense nudges from you. Jesus, just come and speak. Help us, God, to receive satisfaction in the areas of our life where we feel unresolved, where we feel pain, uncertainty. God, when there's discomfort, I pray that you would speak to that in our lives. Help us to pursue you in this moment and let you bring courage that's needed. We thank you, God.